Hello, you beautiful people. We are finally back for another episode of the Redox Cinema Podcast. I'm your host, Davi Vieira, and I'm joined by my co-host, Charlie Medeiros. What's going on, bro? I am so happy to finally be back on here. <laughs> I know, me too. This is a very special episode. We are so sorry for the delay of episodes, but don't worry. We've watched a lot of films, and we are so excited for this episode. And the reason why is because, y'all, Dune comes out as we speak to today, because today is what? The 20, the, tw- the 19th? So today's a 20th. Today's the 20th. Yeah. As we speak. Wednesday. Dune releases tomorrow, October 21st at 6 o'clock. That's our showing. Yeah. <laughs> In IMAX. In IMAX. And y'all, I am so excited for this film. And like, I'm going to say it, I have never been so hyped for a movie like this. I think, oh my gosh, it's got Lord of the Rings caliber right now. That's what people are comparing it to. That's and for sure. That's why I'm so excited because Lord of the Rings is honestly my favorite trilogy of all time. And I literally cannot wait to see this film. And I'm probably not going to sleep tonight because um, I'm going to be thinking <laughs> about it the whole night. Oh, boy. Like. <laughs> but I did my best. I literally know nothing about the film. Spoilers, nothing. I am so excited. The reason why I'm bringing up the film Dune is because we are centering this episode on the director of the film, Denis Villeneuve and I want to say this y'all I am so bad at pronouncing names so you guys might hear me say his name three different ways and I want to apologize in advance you're chilling because (laughs) studied French for six years Villeneuve I think all the French people in the in the comments are gonna be replying like yo you butchered his name Denis Villeneuve Villeneuve yeah. So I'm sorry, y'all, if I literally mispronounce his name as we go. But just um, I just want to just talk about him really quick and his history. So we dive in. But I just want to put out put it out there that um, we are big fans of his work. And he has inspired us so much, not only as moviegoers, but also as aspiring filmmakers. And this episode is centered around just a discussion on how his work has inspired us. That's literally what it is. Um, We're going to go into three of his recent works. And um, we're just going to talk about what those films mean to us as not only as filmmakers, but also as moviegoers and how they have touched us. But before we get into that, um, I just want to give you some history on Denis and um, where he comes from and some of the stuff that he's done to get to where he is today. So he was born October 3rd of in, in Gentilly, Quebec, Canada. In 1967, uh, he became interested in movies as a child, and he began making short films when he was in high school. Even though he studied science in his first post-secondary school, he changed his focus to film when he attended the University of Quebec at Montreal. Um, His first feature film, um, which he also wrote, was called 1998, August 32nd on Earth. Um, He then wrote and directed Maelstrom, which released in 2000. Um, That movie won several awards, including a special jury prize for Best Canadian Feature at the Toronto International Film Festival. After that, uh, he took a break uh, from filmmaking because he wanted to focus on his craft and study the craft of filmmaking and to perfecting that. And then um, in 2008, 
he released um, another feature, but he did not write this one. He wrote, he just directed it, and it was Next Floor. He released in 2008, and then the following year, he directed Polytechnic, uh, Polytechnique, if, that, if I'm saying that right, mm-hmm. um, which was released in 2009, and then in 2010, he released uh, Incendies, which was released in, in 2010, like I said, and also Enemy in 2013, which stars Jake Gyllenhaal. And then also in 2013, this is when he debuted his first Hollywood feature, Prisoners, um, with a insane cast. It starred Jake Gyllenhaal and also Hugh Jackman. And then um, two years after, uh, Sicario, which was in 2015, Arrival in 2016, and Blade Runner 2049 in 2018. So the focus of this episode will be on his last three films, Sicario, which was released in 2015, Arrival in 2016, and Blade Runner in Blade Runner 2049, which was released in 2018, which is also a sequel to the original Blade Runner movie is set 30 years after the events of the first film. Whew. All right. I know that was a lot um, to recap, but now we are... I'm going to start off by just giving you some quick plot summary for Sicario, Arrival, and Blade Runner. Um, Sicario focuses about when drug violence worsens on the U.S.-Mexico border. The FBI sends a idealistic agent, Kate Macer, Emily Blunt, on a mission to eradicate a drug cartel responsible for a bomb that had killed a member of her, members of her team. Um, and then you also have Arrival. It's about a, linguist, a linguistic professor... Uh, Louise Baker, played by Amy Adams, who works uh, with the military to communicate with alien life forms after 12 mysterious spacecraft appear around the world. And then Blade Runner 2049, like I said before, is set 30 years after uh, the events of the first film, follows a Blade Runner, Officer K, and um, he discovers um, uh, a secret about the society he's living in, and he goes on a mission to uh, basically figure out what Blade Runners are in the history of Blade Runners. And, yeah, and basically put society at chaos. That's Blade Runner. And first of all, Charlie, I want to start off with Sicario. And I want you to start off with this discussion. Sure. And yeah. what the movie has done to you, has inspired you. Well... Uh, honestly, I we planned to do this episode, and I realized that I haven't seen a lot of Denise films, mm-hmm. especially not the early ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually just watched Sicario last night mm-hmm. <laughs> before you know starting this episode. So my thoughts are kind of fresh, but at the same time, I might struggle to remember certain aspects of it because I did find the the film maybe. I don't know. I, I think I had a, a little bit of trouble focusing on some of the things on there, but um, so what in particular do you want me to to, to touch upon in, in that movie? Because there are some. Are you talking about like storytelling aspects or, or visual? Um, honestly, what I feel like this Denny as a director, he focuses on more wants to portray what the audience feels when he watches his film because yeah. his world building is insane. And for Sincario in itself, you look at the score of the film yeah. and how he uses the score of the film 
to portray anxiety of what is going on. Yeah, and that's exactly what I mentioned to you briefly before we even started recording. Because I, the movie to me is very predictable mm-hmm. in terms of I understand like where it's going and what characters are, what the characters are probably going to end up being involved in, mm-hmm. and if they're good or bad or whatever. Like that to me was very predictable. But for f- somehow, even though it was predictable. It kept me on my toes, and I was anxious the entire time watching the movie. I was like, what the hell is going to happen next? Even though, in my head, I basically knew what was coming. Mm -hmm. And for a movie to be able to do that is really, like, impressive. It's very impressive. Um, Because usually, like, a predictable movie, you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to happen. And then it happens, and you're not really surprised. It didn't really interest you. You walk out of the theater, or you stop watching the movie. And it ha- didn't really do much. But for for this film, like, just the fact that it had me engaged throughout that amount of time, I, I think, um, gives a lot of value. And I would say that out of these three more recent ones that we've mentioned, for me, it's the weaker one of the, of the bunch, uh, in my personal opinion. It's still a great, um, it's still a great story cinematography wise there's a there's some scenes in there that he plays around with night vision and with thermal vision that i haven't seen in any other movies before like and and this is by not by any means like purely a war or military type movie and i've seen a lot of those as well i haven't seen that level of cinematography like trying to put you in the moment with what the what so, foot soldiers would see in in that moment with their gear uh and for that aspect alone props so much respect uh it, it kind of puts you in like this uneasy feeling because there there's a scene where they're walking through tunnels and and it, and it goes into like this thermal vision and it almost seems like surreal like it's not even real but that's equipment that people use in real life in those situations and that's what they see and it was very experimental but it worked so well for this movie Yes, I definitely agree. And if you don't know, Roger Deakins was the cinematographer I'm, for this I'm film. Not surprised. And, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I think one thing that's so um, very creative about Denise Element is that he is very particular with the shots that he chooses for 100%. his films. Yeah. And the way that he uses color in all three of his films is something to admire um especially in um sicario sicario's color palette or color silhouette is very like desert colors um, yeah throughout the whole thing but also there would be in some cases where one scene like he would just use um darker colors to i think portray the the darkness of characters and how i think this film portrays that no one is perfect there is no good guy, good person in this film. Right. Everybody which is something has I've it. never, which is something I've never yeah. seen before, because usually there is a set protagonist where like, okay, I cheer for the, I cheer for them, or there's a protagonist who you know it's bad, but we have to follow their story. But with Sicario, I feel like you're watching the film and you're like, who is good here? Who right. do I, who do I root for? Everyone has an ulterior motive mm-hmm. in, in this film. That's for sure. And I think that's what probably keeps you on your toes because you're like, okay, who's, you know, who's going to do what, Mm -hmm. who's going to be the one who stabs who in the back or, you know, 
who's the good who's the good guy is this person actually good it mm-hmm. kind of keeps you on your toes a little bit um but the fact that Roger Deakins was the DP on it does not surprise me does not surprise <laughs> me because there are some shots in there like there's some shots of them walking in the desert in their equipment and it's like they're all like silhouetted but you see like the sunset mm-hmm. sky in the background exactly. and it's just stuff that like screams mm-hmm. at you like this is high quality like filmmaking mm-hmm. imagery and it's just the the way that he he uses shadows yeah um and all of all of his films it's it's something very impressive and also the attention to detail of each shot there's a shot where Kate Blunt uh Kate Blunt's character Emily uh, Blunt Emily Blunt yeah. excuse me about that Emily Blunt's character she um she's taking a, a shower yeah. and there's blood falling down her face yeah i remember and that. it's just like how you know how do you like how do you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, there's just some beautiful shots in this film that I, I look at. I'm like, wow. Um, there is very he, and that's something that I appreciate so much about Denise because he's focused on frame by frame what needs to be done, and also yep. bringing in Roger Deakins as a DP is very it works because yeah. they're two very creative guys that have made incredible have done incredible work, and um. One thing about Sicario and all the films that the three other films we're talking about is um, how I think he makes his characters so real. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like characters that you feel like you would, you could relate to. Right. You, they're very humane. They're very human. They're human characters. You know, there's nothing, you know, there's not, they're not superheroes. They're yeah. real people. And it's very much like a, like a revenge story as well. Mm-hmm. And with a particular character that it's like you're kind of indifferent about them. At least for me, that's how I felt. It was like, I don't know. It, uh, I forget this character's name, but he was essentially like a, kind of like a translator and helping out uh, capturing certain people of, of uh, drug cartels and stuff. And he ends up having, you know, a sort of he's spoiler alert. He's in it for revenge, mm-hmm. because to kill the killer of his wife and his daughter, and <laughs> that actually reminds me the that scene was the one that gave me the most anxiety oh, is when, when he, he pulls up to the to the house the family and the family is having dinner mm-hmm. and how he approaches it so casually and that's just the beauty of of writing a scene like that, mm-hmm. uh, and it and it comes to this you know point of like how crooked and inhumane the way he did it was but it was he probably also experienced that when he lost his wife and his daughter because mm-hmm. it was inhumane apparently uh they cut his wife's head off or, and yeah. threw his daughter in in toxic waste or something like that mm-hmm. it, completely crazy we don't get to see that part in the movie but they no. tell us about it and so he he ends up sitting at the table tells everybody to continue their 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 meal shoots the two sons and the wife, and then the husband that was responsible for his family's death, he tells him, keep eating your dinner. And he has no other... You just lost your family. Your family got killed at gunpoint right in front of you. You're not going to keep eating your dinner. And he goes and just, you know, kills them execution style. And that was just very, like, chilling part of the movie. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, you know, he reached, like, he was able to achieve his vendetta and and it was very dark and mm-hmm. twisted way. One thing very, I think, 
what builds the tension of that scene and just the, the anxiety of that scene is how Denis executed that. Yeah. Because when um, Benicio del Toro, that's the who he plays Alejandro, yeah. um, he, what Denis does is very crucial to, I think, so the audience can feel the the terror that that cartel leader was feeling. Even though he was bad, you felt bad for that character who just literally lost his family. Right. So what he does is in that moment where Benicio del Toro's character is about to shoot the his family, he switches to a shot of there's a front, a basically a, a just a I think a um, how was the shot? It's like a it's basically a close up yeah. of the of the of the cartel leader. And all you hear is the gunshots, boom, 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 and you just hear his reaction, and he's flinching. Yeah, it doesn't even show you. It doesn't like- even show killing the family. You just see the reaction of, of the father seeing his family die, and that scene is, oof. Just I the think, gunshots yes. alone already got it. Got me jumping. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I I was watching the movie here on my TV, and then I, uh, it, was, it got late, and I just switched over to my iPad. Thank, like it's not ideal. I wish I saw this movie in theaters, but thank God for technology these days, dude. Mm-hmm. With at like freaking spatial audio and all that stuff, it still mm-hmm. f- kind of gave me that <laughs> simulated theater experience. And mm-hmm. I jumped in my bed like when mm-hmm. the shots popped off, pop, 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 and I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, um, it's just yeah. I, I it definitely gave a lasting impact, mm-hmm. even though it's yeah. for me the weaker of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, I I should be ashamed of saying this. I didn't haven't seen Blade Runner. I haven't. I, I'm so sorry. I'm unprepared. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I've seen like 30 minutes and uh-huh. many, many scenes and mm-hmm. many like frames. So mm-hmm. I know like you know. But. Yeah, so we'll 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 get into Blade <laughs> Runner. Um but if you guys have not seen Sicario, you guys should definitely check it out. Um I know that it's actually available on Pluto for free. Oh. If you guys have I ended up the buying app, it. it is for free but on Pluto. It was worth buying as well. Um, so. And also, I know if you just want to purchase it, you can purchase it on Amazon, iTunes, YouTube. Um, yeah. Wait for Google. the Black Friday deals. They're coming. Yeah. So definitely catch it. If or Definitely watch it if um, you guys are interested in seeing this. But now I want to dive into Arrival. Please. And this movie. <laughs> it's I my mean, favorite one. Of wow. Much. Yeah. This is. 100%. I personally think it's of this the 2010s. I think it's one of the best films ever released in the 2010s. It is. I can agree with that. It is so 100%. good. Um, and, and my then, brother was nagging me to watch it for <laughs> like a year, probably more. Uh, and I was just like, I'm not gonna watch this movie about like alien stuff. Like, shut up. <laughs> but and then I finally did, and wow. Um, but I think one thing that's that stuck out to me with this film is language. And the concept of time. Yeah. I think those are two very big themes of the story, but also lasting effects that have always hit me. Because when I think about this film, I think about time and the language of this film. And um, one, if you guys don't know, the color, the world building of this, of this film is also insane. I just, that's something that I've, always inspired i'm inspired by denis is how he builds his world in this film in his films i mean it's it's honestly incredible how he's able to this film basically only takes place in one sector if you really think about it 
in that sector, we get the feeling of what's going on around Earth. Yeah. Because what he does, and that, and that's, I don't know how he does it, and it's just incredible to see him execute that. And um, one, and uh, one one thing that that I think is is very important with this film is, like I said, it's time, yeah. and they take a very different approach approach with time in this film. You know, usually tell a story from beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. But when you look at this film, it's not linear. You know. Yeah. It's a circle. It, it like it is told to the audience mm-hmm. in a linear way until you get to the last like 10 mm-hmm. 15 minutes of the film mm-hmm. where it has this like th- the most beautiful summary montage that I've ever seen any mm-hmm. film ever have mm-hmm. where it just completely mind bends everything and shows you that all of the events are not in a particular order like they are continuously and endlessly happening there's mm-hmm. no flow of time it goes mm-hmm. forwards and backwards and middle it's all happening at the same time which is crazy to ma- wrap your hand around mm-hmm. um and to execute that in that way is just phenomenal mm-hmm. because do you have movies that do things like that that play around with the concept of time you have you have inception you have tenet mm-hmm. um both by Christopher Nolan, who's another fantastic director that is very good at playing with the concept of time. Mm-hmm. But I think this is, for me, this might be the best execution of that that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And it does it in like 10 minutes. Yeah. And which is insanity. It is insane, which you said they, they only show it at the end. But if you watch the opening scene, I'm sure it's already yeah. hinted. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. literally. If you I, watch- I I haven't rewatched it, mm-hmm. and I don't want to for a <laughs> particular reason because I I had this incredible first impression of the movie, and mm-hmm. I don't want to ruin it in any other way. Mm-hmm. You know, just something about it. Like I, I'm sure I rewatch it again, but when I do go back and see something, it's just that last montage because it's it's incredible. It's mm-hmm. it. You have a beautiful like orchestral music playing in the background, and all this like. Uh, like all these scenes building up uh, just emotions and different occurrences happening in the characters lives i don't want to say too much to spoil it because it's i think even just talking about the ending is already like you know spoiling for some people but if you haven't watched arrival it's been many many years i mean please please check that movie out Mm -hmm. please Uh, yes i really recommend you guys seeing it and um one thing that i want to comment about this film is that for me, when I watch a movie and the next day I can't stop thinking about it, that's when I know a movie has hit me. Not just emotionally, but also like mentally and everything. And Arrival did that to me, where there's some days where someone brings up the film and I'm like, wow, you're right. Dang, this movie's good. Could you sleep? Could I sleep? Yeah. After watching it? I couldn't. I watched it I watched it late at night. Um Yeah. And so did I. I remember when I finished it, the first thing that I did was, wait, hold on. And I was trying to like understand the concept of the story, and I was like, okay, so what I understood was obviously I I got I got the the concept right yeah. away as soon as it showed it, and I knew like, oh shoot, that's like they were showing her the future. Yeah. And um. And then after 
I finished it. I started just thinking about life and time. And at the end of the day, the present, past, and the future, for me, it's just like, yes, it it, it plays a matter into your life, but, you know, it's always going to be there. And I think we just got to live yeah. our life. And 100%. that's what and that's what I got from this film was like, you know, live your life because stuff is going to happen. The past happened. The future happened. The present stuff is going to happen. And you just got to go on with your life. Right. And that's why I think and that's what I got from the film. Um, and also how um, the the character, the daughter, her name was Hannah and yeah. Hannah backwards is still Hannah. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like symbolizing that time is never ending yeah and it's always gonna keep going no matter what palindrome i think Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's incredible Mm -hmm. there's some undertones in this too about language and Mm -hmm. a language barrier and how we can still learn to Mm -hmm. communicate with a foreign person Mm -hmm. or in this case they're aliens that they're Mm -hmm. trying to communicate with but Mm -hmm. through learning their language is what gave them the power to understand this endless concept of time, mm-hmm. which I thought was just the most beautiful thing ever because it's mm-hmm. you're, you're branching out of your comfort zone, of your circle of what you know life to be. Mm-hmm. And once you start to learn other cultures, other languages, other things, all these types of doors open. I think that's a beautiful theme in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then when it leads up to the end, it just blew me away and it's it's such a simple film mm-hmm. like this i feel like the budget of this film i don't know what the budget was but i feel like the budget wasn't like extremely high maybe maybe it was on the higher side because of cgi purposes um but like you said it takes place in basically like one location mm-hmm. um but it's done so well and it keeps you interested the whole time well okay i say that but now i'm starting to remember when I watched it. So I didn't get the theater experience, mm-hmm. right? I actually, unfortunately, haven't gotten the theater experience with any of Denise films mm-hmm. and Dune will be the first one. So I'm so hyped about that. Mm-hmm. But what happened was the movie was, <laughs> it kind to me, it kind of felt like, okay, there was this progression or whatever. And it started feeling a little bit long and I'm like, where is this going? And I mm-hmm. looked at my brother and I was kind of like frustrated. I was like, it's, this is nice. It's beautiful. I kind of understand, but where is it going? He's like, just wait. Mm-hmm. And then I did. <laughs> and the payoff is so damn good. It's, it's so good. Um, but I, like, I, like, like you said, too, I was confused when that was happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had, I had to rewind it and, and watch it again and kind of understand, like, oh, my God, like, all the, these these concepts these these time things are they're all flowing mm-hmm. constantly right now um and i don't know man it, it to, to me it kind of like i always highly regarded inception mm-hmm. because uh for playing around with the concept of time and t- and mind bending and stuff like that but mm-hmm. the the execution of this was just so beautifully done that i think that that did performed better for me personally not mm-hmm. that i'm trying to make it a competition but yeah it's a competition <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're always comparing movies it's just yeah. it's just a 
Exactly. It's just, uh, Denis, it's just the nature of it. <laughs> the writers, Denis, cinematography, mm-hmm. everything, acting, yeah. it all came together mm-hmm. to make this masterpiece. Yeah. Amy Adams is incredible. And Amy Adams is, is She's everything she touches is gold. And um, going back to when you were like, uh, I have no idea what this film is going to. Like, why is yeah. it taking so long? And I think that's a special for Denis because I admire the way he deals with pacing. Yeah. His pacing of films is slow. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. all his movies have slow pacing. But there is, you have to, I think you have to pay attention to the details that he gives out throughout his films. Because let's look at Arrival. Arrival, again, talk about the colors of Arrival. It's very gray, the film. Yeah. Super gray. And what does gray make you feel? Moody, unmotivated. Yeah. Um, and it's also, it like, gray, like, kind of holds you back. And mm-hmm. what is the symbolism of that when they're in the conversation with the aliens who have come in? They have that gray color palette is because I think it's trying to show that the humans of that story are not, are having difficulties trying to, Advance, advance, exactly. have yeah. that conversation. So I think putting that gray palette kind of shows that the mood that they're going through, where it's like, I don't want to push myself into learning this new language, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like it's interesting to see that. Yeah, and I think I think like they don't want to push themselves as a society in exactly. general as well. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, the basically the warning that they get is that like Earth is in trouble mm-hmm. if. They don't learn to adapt and evolve, mm-hmm. which is very true, which is very true to like to to the world as we see it today as well. Like if if we don't learn a, a new way to live or how to adapt with the times and how to evolve as a as a humankind, this will not last us too long. So I think it's, you know, certain undertones of that as well. And that's what makes it even better, man. Like, that's the art behind filmmaking that gets Mm -hmm. me so, like, crazy excited about this stuff and and fall in love with it so much is because every aspect of it, uh, of every every detail is is thought through, Mm -hmm. including colors, including framing, including, Mm -hmm. you know, who they choose to act. All the storytelling elements are extremely important. Mm -hmm. That is true. And that's why I think... Why, that's why I find Denise so special because uh, I'm going to go in details again, like I said throughout this episode, is that he pays. you have to pay attention to every detail of his film. Every scene plays a role into executing the end of his story and the resolution of his story. Exactly. And um, that's why Arrival is so impactful because there so much detail goes on into that last montage, yeah. getting to that last montage. 20 and out of 10. that's my review (laughs) and um yeah so if you guys are interested in seeing arrival it's um only available to rent on itunes amazon um youtube google the google play store or whatever and um you if you have hulu a premium subscription to hulu you can watch it there but um usually those films are i don't a lot of people don't have hulu premium subscriptions but yeah um you can rent this film or buy it digitally and yeah, hundred percent worth it. Mm-hmm. Rent it, buy it, do whatever you got to do. Watch this movie; mm-hmm. it's worth it. All right, now for our last film, we're going into Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So this is going to be all on you, my friend. <laughs> I can the only things I can talk about 
are, you know, like frames of certain things. I've watched maybe the first 20 to 30 minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. That's all I can speak on. Um, yeah. So all I can speak on is visuals mm -hmm. and it's Roger Deakins. So okay. you can, you can, you can take the lead okay. on the rest. I am ashamed. I have been shunned from this point <laughs> on of the conversation okay. and I accept it. So before we start this, Blade Runner is actually, um, considered one of my favorite movies of all time. I've said this throughout. I've said this to a lot of people. Um, the sequel for me, I think is one of the best movies ever made. And, um, and I think it's going to go down as one of the biggest flops ever in Hollywood mm -hmm. because this movie did flop at the box office. And the reason why is because I think um, they took a very artistic approach to sci-fi that we have never seen before, I think. And maybe we have seen prior to the old, the original Blade Runner, and um, which was very interesting to see. And I actually got to see this movie in theaters. And Oof. after seeing this movie in theaters... I've probably seen it like seven more times. Jeez, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just really love this film because from the beginning to the end, I just think this movie is perfect. And one thing I will say again, it's a slow pace. The movie is it's a the pace is slow. Yeah. And for a lot of people that might that might not work. But I want to explain why it's like that and why I think it's it's justified for this film. Yeah. Uh, first, Hans Zimmer scored this film, yeah. and also Roger Deakins was the DP, and then you bring in Denis as the director. That alone is already like wow. Those are three insane people, ins talented people in the industry that um have done incredible work. And um, the first part I want to dive into this film is the world building. I mean, oh my gosh. The world building in this film is incredible from the set to the magnitude that this film is, is it's really nuts to see um, the way that the uh, knee builds the world around um, Officer K, which is played by Ryan Gosling and his world and trying you and you, the audience, trying to understand who the heck he is, is is something to to very to admire a lot, and um, one another aspect that is just incredible about this film is that Ryan Gosling's character is a it's a character that I've never seen, you know, being written before. You know, he you think that he serves a purpose as a protagonist, but you look back and you're like, wow. You, you, you look and you're like, what was his purpose as, as his character? And he did have a purpose and he did have a, a meaning, but he's, he's essentially not, you know, a hero. He's just a robot. And you try to kind of understand that aspect while going through the film. And it's just, it's interesting. And... I don't want to obviously I don't want to spoil this film because I want you guys to watch this and just try to understand why I love this film so much. But um, another thing I want to go into is the cinematography and and the partnership between Roger Deakins again and Denis. 
And fun fact, um, Roger Deakins actually won his first Academy Award with this film. And the use of color in this film is nuts. So, um, any single time, if you pay attention for this film, any single time where there is something significant happening to Ryan Gosling's character, the color palette changes. Um, let's say, uh, so the movie, I think, is very, um, it's a blue. The The main colors of the film are blue. But when a significant uh, thing is going to happen to Ryan Gosling's characters, they switch the palette to a bright yellow uh, plate. And it's very and like when you go back and you pay attention to that, that is so that's crucial to the story. And that's something that is amazing to see how colors, the way I like we say again, the way Denis uses colors to bring significance to a to a story and also execute the finishing touch of the story. Also, Charlie, I know if you if you want to go into that and some of the shots that you've seen that you've you've looked and you're like, wow. I mean, some of the imagery I've seen is like he. There's a scene where he's walking by. They're in like he's in this futuristic like uh, world, and there are like uh, what do you call them? There are signs like uh, like billboards, like digital billboards out, kind of like Times Square type of thing. And like, there's a scene where uh his wife or girlfriend i'm not sure anadermas character he's like sees her and she like reaches out mm-hmm. of it and i'm just like whoa because mm-hmm. i mean i've we've seen things like that in other movies before i'm sure but the way that it looked in this film and then like the there's a light reflecting off of his face like this pink light from the from it it just it's a different aesthetic. It looks clean. It doesn't look overly CGI. Mm-hmm. It looks beautiful. Um, like you said, color palette from screenshots and things that I've seen, it looks incredible and it's always changing mm-hmm. is what it feels like. Because a lot of movies will, will stick with a certain color palette, mm-hmm. but this movie feels like it's continuously shifting mm-hmm. and no color is always the same. I don't know if I'm correct to say that, but it it's difficult to be able to achieve uh, certain moods or to be very accurate when you have that many, that large of a color palette. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie at least visually executes it beautifully. Mm-hmm. And then the scale of it looks incredible. Yeah, it's nuts. Immense. It is nuts. And I don't know how Denis and Roger Deakins always achieve this look. Um, but it... It just looks, the world looks enormous. And, you know, it mm-hmm. speaks volumes to, to the talent that it is for for Roger Deakins and his cinematography. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's very different compared to Arrival. I mean, Arrival is, the it, obviously, Arrival, the world is built around one setting, right? Yeah. And then that setting builds the entire Earth, and you get the perception of what's going on on Earth. But all, but for Blade Runner, it's the city of Los Angeles in 2049. Yeah. And the scope of it, you look at it and it's a lot bigger. Yeah. It's like, whoa, this world is huge. Yeah. And it's it's something where I'm like, how, like, how do you do that? You know? Yeah. It's like, how, how, how are you able to do something like that? And honestly, for me, all I can tell you is what, just take a glimpse at it. 
Yeah. And I'll say this, um, Blade Runner is not for everyone. Um, I, I wa- I've watched it, um, with a couple people in the, with a couple people and some of them are like, ah, it's, it's okay. And yeah. I get it because like I said, Denise films tend to move very slow and, I think for me that's a plus. I like that because it helps develop the world, but also the characters and the story. And um, that's why I love Ryan Gosling's character so much because he's essentially a hero who doesn't matter. Mm, okay. And it's when you get to the end, you're like, wow, like, hmm, what a hero or not. So it's, right. it's it's very it's 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 very interesting in the way um Denny uh, built it Denny showcases that and um it's it just brings in another another aspect like we said before on the 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 realism to the characters that Denny does. You know, those characters all feel real and you feel like you can connect with them and understand what their purpose are. And that's why I, I love his work so much. And that's why I love Blade Runner so much. Uh, it's a film where I will always, <laughs> I will ride and die for it because it's, it's, it's imp- honestly impacted me so much as um, someone who is inspired to become a, a filmmaker, but also inspired by someone who, who does a work like that. And right. it just, it's just, it's, it's just amazing. And to see. I have to finish it. You got me. <laughs> you got me going now. I'm just. Um, it's it's interesting, and it's it sucks that this film was a flop. Um, this film did not do well at the box office. It didn't make, um, it didn't make as much money as Warner Brothers thought it was going to make. What was the budget? It looks like it an was huge, bro. Hold on, let budget. me. But okay, so budget wise, it was. Between 150 million to 85 million dollars, and it only made 259 million at the box office. 250 to 185 million, mm-hmm. and made 200 and how much? 59. 259. 259. Yeah. Lost money. It lost money because 100%. it's not counting marketing. Yeah. And distribution costs, all mm-hmm. of the marketing. Um, Basically, those are the other two aspects of, of money spending. Mm-hmm. So in total, my guess might be that they dished out like a little under half a billion dollars. Yeah, it's a masterpiece for, flop. To make the movie, and then they lost. It's literally a masterpiece flop. I've and, never seen, and, I've and never seen won, a film. They won like Academy this. Awards yeah. for it, too. I've, I've <laughs> honestly never seen a film who it's, cons- it's praised by audiences. Right. But... It's a flop. Yeah. I wonder why. Like, people just didn't. I don't think weren't people connected. Maybe it was the runtime. The runtime is. The movie's long. It's, it's like almost hours three it's hours. Almost three hours long. Yeah. And I'm a. And if you guys don't know, I'm a big fan of long films. But <laughs> it, it, it needs to be no, justified. None of, the, none of it makes sense because you're talking about a big budget movie. It's Blade Runner. It's famous, right? Mm-hmm. It's basically kind of like a remake. You have. Ryan Gosling, you have Ana de Armas, you have uh, Jared Leto, you had uh, Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford who was in the original. And, and so the cast again. is like a big reason 
to go see this movie. It's yeah. not a reason to stay home and yeah. not watch it. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it's still underperformed blows my mind. And that was pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, Keep that in mind, that's pre-COVID. Y'all. Yeah. So and it's just, it's interesting because, and now you said, you came back and said that it's, it's a remake. It's not, it's technically not a remake. It's a sequel. Yeah. But like you a remaster. Can, yeah, it's a remastered, you know? but you can, you don't need to watch the original to see Blade Runner 2049. Okay. There's no, there's, there's, you don't really don't need to see it. Gotcha. And that's why I think it's, it's so, it, it, it's interesting about that where you can distinctive, distinctively uh, separate the two from one another. Right. And they're two separate, they're basically two separate films. There's no, you, you know, it's, it's, that's why I find it, um, which I thought was a good direction where you can yeah. just, you know what, this is going to be a completely different film, you know. We're given in a different story, a new landscape. And you would think that the audience would be like, oh, shoot. Okay, yeah. It's not a remake. It's not a remake. Yeah. And it just didn't connect with people. Do you, do you think maybe it's because the first film was just so, what was it, in like the 70s, the 80s? Yeah. And but the, the first it, one was, was just a masterpiece a as well. It's, it's, yeah. They're both, I think they're both but I think maybe there's on a, par with one There's another. a disconnect from the audience and like maybe old audiences were you know interested in it because they'd seen the original but younger audiences didn't really see the appeal which i don't understand still because it's like a beautiful crazy looking sci-fi movie and i don't know it's 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 hard it technically right now like when it came out it's maybe considered like as a new ip because the previous the original was so far back so for this generation it's a new ip and mm-hmm. it's not it's not a marvel film it's not a disney movie so anything that's not that is going to struggle these days i guess unfortunately and yeah. that's why i'm so worried for, for dune, dune. <laughs> exactly so we'll get into that like in a couple seconds but uh if you guys want to want to know where to watch this Film is available on HBO Max. If you have an HBO Max subscri- subscription, <laughs> <laughs> if you have an HBO Max subscription, um, it's there. Uh, just go on the search bar and search up Blade Runner. Uh, it's there, and I think the original is also on Netflix. So, All right. if you want to see the original first, go on Netflix. They have it there. Um, last time I checked. Um, Talk about Dune, man. Talk about okay. like literally. There's the the biggest issue with Dune right now is exactly what we just talked about with, with Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. So and that's why exactly that's such that's a very that's very difficult for an incredible director like Denis to have to face the fate of two movies that he's made back to back, potentially failing Flop. at the box office. Yeah. And the fact that it happened with Blade Runner is very unfortunate, especially pre COVID. Right now, with COVID, it's a little more understandable if a movie underperforms. Mm-hmm. But your biggest problem is the bullcrap scenario that's happening with, with HBO, HBO Max. And the movie releasing on HBO Max, same day as theaters. Okay. So we're going to watch this movie tomorrow. Technically, it comes out on Friday. Mm-hmm. And people can just watch it from home on HBO Max. That you is a bummer. You can watch it from home on HBO Max starting at 6 o'clock tomorrow. Fun fact, if you guys don't know. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> you, do you see how Do you see how that would piss me off as a as a director? It definitely pisses. It pissed off Denis and the whole cast and the production. Yeah. And where they were, they were, they were really upset. 
Yeah. And which they should be. There's there I think there is it's justified to be upset. But one thing I'm gonna say, y'all, for Dune, if you can't go to the theaters, stream it. Yeah. And the reason why is because Warner Brothers has already put out a statement and says if this film does numbers also on streaming, they will make a sequel because this movie is a trilogy. It's Okay, so at least there's hope. So there's hope yeah. that we get the completion of the story because again, Dune is based is based on Frank Herbert's novel. Um, if you guys haven't read it, read it. It is a fantastic book. But also, there's more books to follow. So yeah. we need we need a completion of the story. Yeah. So going back to the whole theater, Dune, HBO Max, and all this stuff. Yes, it scares me a lot. Yeah. Especially if someone who's super excited to see this film. I've never, like I said before, I've never been hyped for a film like Dune before. Right. And um, I really hope that we get a sequel, which I think we will get a sequel. But um, it hurts the director a lot. Yeah. When you have to see a film that was shot with IMAX cameras be shown the same day. As it is released in theaters. That's the whole purpose of this movie. The, the whole, whole purpose, purpose is to see this film at the biggest screen that you can. You uh, cast uh, the an entire cast and crew um, worked very hard before COVID came. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. is when they shot this, and the intention is for you to see it in the biggest screen possible, which is IMAX. Mm-hmm. Have that theater experience because it's a work of art that's being displayed to you. And the fact that somebody can pull it up on their six-inch screen on their iPhone and watch it from there is mind-boggling to me. If yeah. I were Denis, that would that that hurts piss you. Me that off. like puts like that puts like a bullet in your heart. <laughs> you spend years, years working on that yeah. for it to end up on a phone. You know, it's hurt. That's it's like a that's like a, a a famous portrait photographer. You know, going out, spending the time to take and capture these beautiful images and then it's just shared on Instagram. That's where it's delivered, you know. They don't get to make prints. They don't get to make, you know. It's it's very sad. Here's what I'm going to say to the people who are listening. If you can and you're interested in watching this movie, please do everything in your power to go to your theater and watch it. I would say make sure you watch it in IMAX if you can. But if you can't, just go to any theater. Just watch it, please. Movies and the future of filmmaking depends on movies like this performing well, especially at this certain time. Because what we're seeing are companies like HBO taking over uh, this, you know, taking over at a stage where and and leaving uh, director and cast and crew like vulnerable to to their work and not letting them release it the way that they want, and really the only company that is backing uh, you know theaters a hundred percent is Marvel and Disney currently because they have all these new movies they have Eternals they have Spider Man they have uh, you know the whole lineup next year that's all looking to be theater only exclusive. And it's a bummer because we're finally getting in the space where you have these uh, filmmakers who were independent filmmakers and have this crazy artistic mind getting into the world of 
blockbuster filmmaking and a grand scale and bringing those two worlds together. And it's like, dude, it's on HBO Max. Yeah. Watch it on your iPhone. Watch it on your Amazon tablet. Like, what? <laughs> Get the hell out of here with that crap. Literally. Please. Uh. Do everything you can yes, for the sake please, of movies. Please watch this movie in theaters. I know that we get a sequel if it does well on streaming as well, but they need the numbers in theaters as well. They need they need the box office to do well so that they can keep releasing this. And that you know you, you never know they might make a sequel that ends up being streaming only. Like that would be such a disappointment. And then I feel like at that point it would be something that Denis doesn't even want to do. So then we end up with a Star Wars scenario where. You switch directors halfway through the story, and then the story suffers because of it. We don't want that. No, we, we don't. don't want that. We don't. This movie's being compared to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's being compared to Star Wars, but better. It's being compared to so many things. The cast is enormous. The world building is incredibly enormous. It's Hans Zimmer's score, shot on IMAX cameras. Yeah, it's Timothy the cream of the Chalamet. crop for you got for Dave blockbuster Bautista, films. You got Oscar, uh, Oscar Isaac, Zendaya. It's just it's crazy, it's an insane cast. Rebecca Ferguson, it's, boom. I heard she's incredible. In yeah. the movie. I heard she's like the, the the best thing about this movie. Yeah. It's like, y'all. It's we're not because why? Okay, you guys might be listening. Like, why are they like basically advertising to see this movie? I know it's not we're sorry for that but it's not a sponsorship and the reason why is because original films like this like book adaptations and original films blockbuster films like this are not doing well in theaters anymore what do well what does well in theaters marvel films star wars films and existing ips yep so existing ips i mean like like an alien or a, a jaws if they remake jaws halloween for example yeah those films will do well because they're just sequels and they're ex- they're just existing stories. Yep. But Dune, who's f- it's they've had a, f- a film already made for Dune, which is utter trash. But put that complete away garbage. I so watched fifteen. Dune, minutes. it's an original. It's basically a new film, a new IP coming in, huge huge budget, and if it doesn't do well, I think the fate of creating new blockbuster films. Is at risk, a hundred percent. Because what if a, a, a George Lucas comes out? Obviously, George Lucas is huge. But what if um, George Lucas comes out with a new concept, and um, it doesn't do well in the box office? Yeah, you know, like just new. I think new blockbuster films, new concepts are not are not going to be funded as well as you know an existing IPs like Marvel, Star Wars, because those already have fans. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's, they're it's, guaranteed, you know, bo- they're guaranteed a billion in the box office if it wasn't for COVID, like Marvel and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Dune, I would say that it could reach close to a billion if it was normal circumstances. Uh, there wasn't a pandemic and there was no streaming platform agreement as well. Um, completely idiotic. They should have done some sort of deal where, you know, it comes out on streaming like at least 30 days after. Um and people are fighting for this now. Like, I don't know if you've seen Christopher Nolan's new movie. Like, because he went to, he left Warner Brothers and he went to Universal. Universal. And yeah. he got them to agree on a 100-day theatrical window. Nothing else from Universal can come out within 100 days of his movie. 
like so so I, what i'm saying is like there's hope like there's there's, hope, there's but, fighting but back from certain directors but you have to be a big name like that yeah exactly but that's you know? but that's my point though you you have to be a big name yeah because what if you what if you're, you're charlie Madero's yeah proposes a, a new a new blockbuster film great story you have you have it written but you need a budget of 200 million dollars Exactly. To do this work. Yeah, yeah. I'm not getting it. You're not going to get no, it. No, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll you know what I mean? Like, Obviously, you have to have a resume. Let's say your resume is you've done a couple indie films. You know, you yeah. got, you've gotten critical praise and all that stuff. Right. But now you want to jump into the blockbuster field. You, the the possibility, of, I think, of a studio coming in and be like, yeah, we'll back you 100% is very low now. Very low. They'll, they'll give you, they might give you, you know, the budget that you're looking for, but they're going to be like, yeah, it's going straight on streaming because we want you know, to build that population of of streaming customers and make the revenue through there. Mm-hmm. But they're going to make more through theaters. I don't know. Uh, like, I, I just don't get that. I, I don't understand. They are going to make more through the theaters. The The problem is COVID, yeah. people being afraid of going. And I can understand if people are afraid of going. But if you're not afraid of going, if you feel totally comfortable, you're vaccinated, you're wearing a mask or whatever, whatever your comfort level is, mm-hmm. if you're comfortable with going to the theater, Go. Yes. Go to the theater, watch the movie. It's a mm-hmm. better experience. Yeah, I agree. It's a better experience. And people are packing out theaters mm-hmm. regardless of COVID for Marvel movies now anyway. Yeah, they it's are. back to how it was before. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Eternals, when we go see that, it's gonna be I mean, I'm pretty sure we already out. have our tickets and it's we, we have our tickets and, and the, the room's already basically sold out. basically sold out. Yeah, which is good. It's like a month away. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You see, it's like actually I'm gonna you can go ahead and talk on your point. I'm going to see about Dune for tomorrow, how packed it is. Oh, for Dune. Okay, yeah, yeah we see Dune tomorrow. Just to get get signs, because we're, we're like, you know, telling our viewers like, hey, make sure you watch yeah. this, make sure you watch this. But maybe the turnout is going to be better than what we expect. Yeah, and we're not, and obviously, like like Charlie said, we're not, we're not shaming you if you watch this movie and streaming, because obviously we understand the circumstances that we are today. At the end of the day, we understand that some people still don't feel comfortable going to the theaters, and that's, one, and that's 100% valid. And um, that's why I'm telling y'all, if you don't want to watch this in theaters, stream it as much as you can, <laughs> because I want a sequel. <laughs> you want to? Exactly. Hey, this is our theater for tomorrow. Okay. Okay. The whole back room, the whole back is room packed. is full except for the front. The rows. front is is open, but yeah. that's actually pretty good. That's good. I'm sure by tomorrow mm-hmm. that'll fill up even more. Yeah. But like, our row is completely full. Yeah, our row is good. Yeah. No, totally. The back, full. the back is full. The back, the back section like, is full. There are maybe in the main like general seating area, there may be like eight seats available, ten. Mm-hmm. So that's a good that's sign. That's pretty good. Yeah. Opening night. Six o'clock is kind of early ish. And it's I, I but it is IMAX. So there's hope. I think it'll do well. It is opening. It has opened already in other markets and has performed well. It's gonna open in China too, <sighs> apparently. It is which is huge. China is doing huge really well at the box because right now. Marvel didn't have Shang Chi in China. They're not going to have Eternals in China. Eternals already is now. confirmed not not going to China. I, from what I've heard, is not going to China. I know Bond in a, in uh in Dune is heading to China. Yeah, which is huge. It's a huge market. So that's also great news. Also great news for them. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, fingers crossed. We're hoping for the best. Super hyped to see it. Yeah, I'm going like straight after work, so that's going to be a great. Yeah, I'm going straight after class. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like uh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
I've heard I've been reading on Twitter like people's reviews and yeah, they're just like the reactions are blown nuts. away. Yeah. People are blown away. And I want to I want to feel that way, too. I want to mm-hmm. be completely like mesmerized, blown away by this film. I've already heard a little bit of the score <laughs> on like Apple Music from Hans Zimmer. The score's wild. I've heard a little bit, too. Dude. It's wi- oh to, be on- to be honest, it's something that I've never heard before. Yeah. And I'm excited. I, many people, from what I've seen online, have said it's Hans Zimmer's best work. Oh my god! Which is like stop it. <laughs> stop which it. is I'm saying something because that man's I'm, done. I'm getting goosebumps right now. That bro. man's done so many movies. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah. So I know we're so sorry for going off a tangent of talking about HBO and streaming, but guys, um, we are so excited for this film. Hell and yeah! On. We'll be doing a review on Friday. Um, as we're trying to get out the review as quick as possible for you guys to listen to it. And just so you know, that review will be spoilers. So we're gonna go right into it. And yeah. we're not gonna we're not gonna hold out on it. We're just gonna talk what we liked about the film, everything. So if you wanna listen to that review, make sure you watch the film either on streaming or in theaters as quickly as possible. Do it first. Because the review will be out. Friday night or Saturday. We don't have the date yet, but we'll have the review done as quickly as possible. Heck yeah. And so, we got to catch them up on all, all the yeah, stuff we've, we've watched seen, recently. We've seen too. like eight films. Tons. We, yeah. A lot guys. of good stuff. A lot of really trash stuff too. But <laughs> hopefully it just keeps getting better. October yeah. is so busy yeah. for films. I love it. Mm-hmm. We're excited. So thank you guys so much for listening. We get to see you tomorrow and I'm so hyped. It's freaking uh, go. <laughs> let's go. It's freaking go. Thank you guys one more time for listening to Redux in the podcast. My name is Davi Vieta. This is Charlie. We're signing off. Next episode will be Dune Review. See you soon. <laughs>